Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. You're locked in. Look at what we have here, folks. To the only show that matters. The cream of the crop. Duke loves wrestling. And there is no one that does it better than your host. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. The Duke. And I'm all out of bubblegum. I was sick. I had the plague yesterday, but I'm recovering. I'm doing well. We've got those Crockett Cup on mute here, and I'm uh, I'm sitting on the couch at home, so I'm feeling much better than I was yesterday. So thanks for having me. I'm just glad you're not one of the Walking Dead. I was a little little worried about you there. Yeah, no, nope, I'm uh, I'm not a zombie. I'm still alive. Look out. <laughs> Listen, explain to everybody, please, uh, what WrestleNomics Radio is and and why they should be paying attention. So WrestleNomics, the WrestleNomics brand or WrestleNomics Radio, the, the podcast, was ri- originally started by Chris Harrington, who some people know as Mookie, and Mookie Ghana on Twitter. And uh, so I started doing that regularly with Mookie in, I think we started doing that in, like, April or mid-2017. Um, 
we started doing that together, and then we had we did it like every other weekend. We wrapped it up to like doing it every week, and then we wrapped it up to doing it like twice a week, one for free, one on Patreon. And uh, so this the beginning of this year, Mookie got officially hired by All Elite Wrestling, so he works for them now, and uh, and I'm I'm just left doing it on my own now. And uh, but yeah, we focus on the wrestling business. Uh, I also have a website, WrestleAlex.com, which is basically just like a, a link, a list of links and resources to all sorts of data. Um, some of it we've compiled ourselves. Some of it is, are just linked to other websites on the Internet, uh, like real data that you can, can look at as far as like whatever, whether there's key metrics like TV ratings or attendance or uh, a lot of WE corporate financial data that we put together and found over the years. Um, so I've, I've been writing about wrestling business since about 2015, 2014. Um, especially around the time that the WWE Network launched, I got really interested in the, in the business side of wrestling and got more into following wrestling again. Like, I've been a wrestling fan all my life. I've been a pro wrestler since 2003. But um, I was not always following the, like, U.S. scene and, and WWE very closely. But, like, around the time the, the network launched, I've always kind of had, like, a, a side interest in, in new media and in technology. And... WWE Network launching in February 2014 was, you know, obviously WWE getting into the video streaming service, um, into the video streaming business. So that was really fascinating to me. And I studied that a lot and read about that a lot and ended up discovering Chris Harrington's work through that and, uh, you know, read a lot of his stuff, learned a lot. Uh, I did some blogging and then it ended up, like, I wrote a lot for a site called Voices of Wrestling. I wrote for, uh, wrote for other websites like Wrestling Inc. And, and lately I write for Fightful.com. And, uh, I've done a few things for, like, Seeking Alpha, which is, like, a stock analysis website. So, yeah, I, I, uh, studied wrestling business a lot and, and got really interested in, in, it, in it. And, uh, Chris Harrington and I became closer friends over that time. And we started doing this podcast together. And, and now I'm carrying the WrestleMomics banner all by myself as, as he's, uh, I think his official title is the Vice President of Business Strategy for All Elite Wrestling. So, yeah. You know, they're, All Elite Wrestling is very, uh, creative with their, their business titles there. So that, that's, that's, that's a pretty impressive title that, uh, Harrington has there. Shout out to Chris Harrington. That's, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. Now, you actually have a connection to the, to the wrestling industry. You're not just a guy who writes about it and has a podcast about it. Uh, mm-hmm. tell us your connection in wrestling. So like as a wrestler, I've, uh, I've been wrestling since, I've been training since like 2003. I did some referee stuff in 2003. I really, like, made my debut as a pro wrestler as myself in 2004. Um, so I've been wrestling since then, and uh, just mostly wrestling locally and, and regionally. And uh, But I've been wrestling uh, more, making longer drives in the last couple of years. Um, you might have seen me in Beyond Wrestling. I, I think I've wrestled about three times there uh, so far this year in the last couple of months. Um, I'm a pro wrestling trainer for a wrestling school called Grapplers Anonymous, which is uh, in Lackawanna, New York, just south of Buffalo, New York, which is where I live. And, um, yeah, we've, I work really hard there and we, we put out some good wrestlers, I think, uh, and maybe names some people might have heard of, like, um, Daniel Garcia and Kevin Blackwood and Puff and Kevin Bennett and, uh, hopefully a lot of other people that, uh, you will, will, will learn about soon. But yeah, uh, a lot of people help me with that. There's, um, like the Every Night is, is basically the guy who, uh, who manages the school and who also trains people there and, uh, Pepper Parks, who is, Braxton Sutter on Impact Wrestling, which is coming there and does some training with us there as well. That's that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So you're not, again, you're not just um, 
somebody covering it. You legitimately are out there. You've paid your dues. You've taken your bumps. Still out there doing it. And um, yeah, that's that's pretty awesome. Let me ask you, Brandon. Yeah. Does it make sense to you the the cliche song and dance that a company like World Wrestling Entertainment (WWE) they're quote unquote in trouble and you know things are are, are really bad and, and they're they, you know they're, they're in danger of shows being canceled and what have you because of the current product that they're putting out. Does that make sense to you? when you look over their yearly reports and, and you see the kind of money that they're bringing in and, and that they're going to continue to bring in for the foreseeable future. Well, well, so, so W does a quarterly report, you know, every quarter. And, no, and that's always a big day for me. I usually take the day off of work and I, uh, and the documents drop at like 9 a.m. Eastern and then there's a conference call at 11. So that's always a big day for me and that's something that we cover. Uh, I cover on the Solanomics in some capacity in audio and I usually write an article about it. Um, and so, so WE has, has been a company that's been doing really well financially lately. Um, they recorded record revenue. They recorded record profits. You know, which profit metric you want to look at, it's, it's, they, they broke all their records in 2018. I think the numbers were you know, nine, $930 million in revenue, uh, and net income, $99.6 million, right? This is bigger than any year they've had previously, even if you adjusted for inflation. More profit than they had back in the in the Attitude Era, right? So company's doing really well uh, financially. Uh, the TV deals uh, that they signed, uh, I just reposted the article to the, uh, the WrestleNomics uh, Twitter account today. So it's, it's about one year ago this month that uh, the news was broken by the Hollywood Reporter that uh, SmackDown was, you know, they were selling SmackDown. Their SmackDown's being taken off the USA Network and it's going to be put on Fox. Um, so that they're starting in October 20, uh, 2019, WWE's going to be getting you know, these even bigger TV rights deals. So right now, their biggest source of revenue already is TV rights fees related to Raw and SmackDown. Um, but that's going to become even bigger because this current set of deals are expiring, at least in the U.S. The current set of deals are expiring for Raw and SmackDown in October. And they have new deals already signed and in place so that Raw is going to be renewed on the USA Network. And SmackDown, obviously, is going to move from USA Network to Fox. And uh, I think the average annual value for Raw is something like $225 million per year over five years. Average annual value of the SmackDown deal is $205 million over five years. Okay, so that's just their U.S. TV deals. And, yeah, that, that's just revenue, but that, that's just U.S. TV deals. They also have... Uh, a, a big deal in the news just came out today that W is moving in the UK from Sky Sports to BT, and they have another big deal which you should be have you should hear news about soon as far as a renewal in India. That's their number three or maybe even number two market by the time that that deal goes up. But so these these TV rights deals are not dependent on W's performance as, as far as TV viewership. So W kind of no matter what they do as far as viewership, that doesn't affect them the amount of money that that these TV networks are paying WWE. Um, we live in a world now where there's a huge premium on live TV stuff, you know. These TV networks, they want programming that's, that's live and that people don't want to watch later on, on the DVR, you know. They want they need programming that people are going to sit there and watch and have, the, have on while the commercials play. So 
over over this time where you know we I think a, a way to describe it is you know we live in this media world now where there's ever more uh, things to do with our time. Everyone is in a fight for eyeballs. Everyone is in a fight for our time. There are there's other video streaming services like Netflix that want our time. There's probably more and more gaming. There's more and more stuff to do on your phone. There's mobile gaming. There's all sorts of competition out there for our time. So to to keep the TV bundle together, to uh, to keep the TV bundle together together of like TV channels that uh, can be sold by cable and satellite, these, these networks have put an increased amount of value on live programming. So that's why you hear about these huge deals that the NFL, for example, has now. And that's why we hear about this huge deal that uh, WWE has, which was, um, put it like in some frame of reference, the, uh, the value. So the, so the WWE signed a five-year deal with, with NBC Universal, which is the parent company of, of USA Network. And that deal lasted from 2014 and will end in October or September 2019. Okay, and that was a hundred million some odd, I, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but it was, it was a very lucrative deal. So the, the, that, the value of that deal has increased 3.6 times. So the, the current deal, set of deals that they're going to enter into in October with, with Fox or SmackDown, with USA Network for Raw, that's, that represents a 3.6x increase in, in that TV rights uh, revenue. So, so kind of as you mentioned, WWE is basically guaranteed to, for the next five years, for the length of, of these, these US TV deals, and they also mostly coincide with the, the timing of the UK deal and the India deal. For the next five years, through about 2024, WWE is going to break its revenue record probably each consecutive year up to at least 2024. It's going to break probably all the profit records up to 2024. What will happen uh, beyond that point? I don't know. It's really hard to predict what the media ecosystem is going to look like and what, what that industry, what the TV industry is going to look like and what kind of market there's going to be for Wrong SmackDown at that point. But I can say with, uh, I think, a, a pretty good degree of certainty that uh, W is going to be a very uh, a very financially healthy company uh, up through 2024, mostly because of enormous TV rights deals, right, rights fees they're going to get from TV partners around the world, especially in the United States. Why do people have, in your opinion, why, why do people, you know, wrestling fans, why do they have a su- such a difficult time reconciling the fact that something that they, they're seeing on TV, so the, the product that WWE is putting out, just because they personally don't like what the WWE is offering today, that doesn't mean that it isn't successful. In fact, it, it, it's very successful, like you just outlined just now. Why is that such a hard concept for wrestling fans and the people who cover wrestling to, to grasp. Well, I, I think we kind of like mentioned it uh, before we started recording here. I think there's like a, a feeling of, you know, people watch WWE, they don't feel satisfied with it. And like most of the time that I watch it, to the extent that I do still watch it, I mean, it, it, it's a program that uh, I often feel frustrated by when I watch it. It doesn't feel like it's run by somebody who has a great deal of passion for pro wrestling in the way that I have passion for pro wrestling and the way I think that most wrestling fans have passion for pro wrestling. And uh, for all sorts of reasons that I don't know if you want to get into, but people feel frustrated by it. And I think, like, what happens then is, like, people want to, they, they, they don't like the show, and then and then they feel like they want to see some sort of justice uh, 
for this in the economics. So there must be some sort of punishment for Vince McMahon putting on this, this kind of product that he puts on. Like there must be some sort of economic punishment that makes him feel like he has to make a change. And um, one of the metrics that people talk about and we were kind of, like, kind of getting at just a moment ago is, is TV viewership. And TV viewership for Raw SmackDown in the United States has declined quite a bit. And it's, um, depending on, you know, which segment of time you look at, it has declined beyond the rate of, of TV overall. For example, we have – W uh, publishes its, its own key performance indicator document, and it's on, on page one. It's got Raw ratings, SmackDown ratings, overall USA Network ratings, and overall top 25 cable. And uh, you, can, you can look at that stuff over time and, like, put it into spreadsheets, which is something somebody like me does. And uh, you can see that, you know, Raw has declined faster than the rate of the top 25 cable uh, channels overall. Um, so, yeah, I think what's, what's been happening in the last um, in the last year or so, I think it has, has been more concerning. Um, but I, just to go back to, like, the original point we were talking about, though, I think what happens is, you know, people don't, don't like the product, and they feel there, there has to be, like, some sort of economic justice for it. But at the same time, like, WWE doesn't have, you know, WWE is doing better and better financially. They're going to be doing better and better financially probably for the next five years. So it's a, it's a really weird and like counterintuitive conundrum that they're in, in, in that, uh, Vince McMahon's not going to get probably any economic signals anytime soon that tell him, Hey, look, what you're doing is wrong. If, if anything, it's, it's quite the opposite, right? Uh, cause he's, he, he can sit there and say, Hey, look, I'm, you know, there's, there's some critics out there probably who say things. I don't, that I don't pay attention to. But look, look at these new TV deals that I got. USA Network and, and Fox gave me a 3.6 F increase in TV rights. So who are these people to say that I'm doing something wrong? I must be doing something right because they're giving me, a, you know, a, over a, a, a triple rate on my TV rights. So, so I think there's that. There's that lack of incentive to change for WWE because they are doing and will continue to do better and better financially. Um, but you do see things that I think Especially uh, with this last quarter and with uh, Q3 of 2018, I think you do see some cracks, though, like um, in, let's say, live, live event segments. So WWE's business is broken down into three major segments when they report it. There's the media uh, division of their business, live events, and consumer products. So media includes everything like TV rights and the W network and, and a lot of other things. And then there's live events, which is basically ticket sales and travel packages. And then there's consumer products, which is everything from merchandise sales uh, to, like, the licensing of, uh, of action figures and of video games and things like that. So, but in Q3 2018 and in Q1 2019, their live events division uh, basically failed to make a profit. And that's a new, that's a relatively new phenomenon as far as, like, um, you think back to go back to like the the beginning of uh, of Vince McMahon being a powerful person in wrestling. Uh, the wrestling business was all about you know getting on TV for for basically no, no expectation of making any money back on it, only so that you could sell tickets to a live event, which is where you made your money. And now we're at the point where in some quarters this live event division doesn't even make a profit, but you get all your money from the TV show. So it's it's uh in. So George Barrios, who is the WWE, one of the co-presidents for WWE, um, he does a lot of public talks, which you can find on the W Corporate website. Um, he's, he said, you know, something to the effect of, like, this, this business has 
been, you know, sort of turned on its head. It's been a reversal as far as, you know, the way that you make money here. It's not just about getting on TV to, to sell tickets. It's sort of like, you know, we're, uh, you know, I, I don't know what, what, what purpose exactly the live event has, but, uh, people like me argue that they should be running fewer and fewer live events, that they should be running fewer house shows because it's, it's just, uh, I see it as more of something that puts wear and tear on the talent. Um, there's value in it. There's hidden value beyond the ticket sales, I think, in a live event in terms of like, yeah, it puts, it puts WWE in a given town for a day and it promotes it in that way and it gives the fans or the, you know, imagine the kids that go there, they give them that experience and that memory of being at an event and maybe that enhances their propensity to be a WWE fan in the future. Um, but, uh, but many live events probably aren't making money. Attendance is declining, uh, over time in the last few years and, um, it, it puts a lot of wear and tear on the talent, and I don't, I don't see, you know, especially about house shows, they, they don't seem to, uh, you know, do that well over time. And uh, when you've got Vince McMahon going on the conference call, he did uh, in Q1, which was in May, and he said that the, the reason for a lot of these metrics being down, including television viewership and live event attendance, was because of talent absences. He said talent absences, and. Uh, he, and uh, basically said that, you know, things are, you know, we got people who are recovering from injuries and things are going to be better going forward. And uh, I'm really skeptical of that. I, I don't really believe that things are going to be that much better going forward as far as television ratings, as far as live best tennis. Um, I think this, this company, WWE, has, has uh, while they are insulated and protected by enormous TV rights fees, they have failed to create uh, meaningful stars over the last several years. And I think stars are the thing historically and still today that drive the business. Um, I think WWE over the last several years has become an increasingly uncool brand. That's not that's not a technical uh, finance term, uncool. But I think WWE has become, uh, in a meaningful way, a more uncool brand. Uh, and I think AEW, while its name ID is way lower, and they're not even on uh, a major cable channel yet, they will be in October. We'll be on TNT, and maybe we'll gain some some great notoriety then. But I think AEW does represent something that is more like what what is cool in pop culture. What is a cool wrestling brand like? It's more like that. And and WWE is a company and a brand that I think has inspired a lot of distrust with its customers, its fans, um, and has inspired a lot of distrust. Now we're seeing increasingly with its talent, where you know talent is becoming. Um, you know, a lot of people listening have probably listened to, to the Dean Ambrose interviews, uh, either with Chris Jericho or with Wade Teller, uh, that were released over the last month or so, where he describes, uh, all the problems he saw with W's created. Um, and you see a lot of like, since AEW started to, uh, become a more powerful thing in wrestling, you see just a lot of just on social media, uh, talent becoming more willing to express their unhappiness with their situation. Um, so yeah, I think, that's a really hard thing for a lot of financial analysts to digest or to even be aware of that there is this sort of distrust with, with the fans and increasingly so with the talent. And I think that is a, uh, that is a, 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 a problem that I think if I were an investor in WB, which I have never owned W stock, full disclosure, but I, if I were uh, an analyst in WB stock or an investor in WB stock, I would be concerned about that. Um, that there's this increasing, you know, dissatisfaction that there doesn't seem to be so in my view there, there isn't any way this, this is going to get corrected as long as Vince McMahon is at the helm Vince McMahon in, in John Moxley's words is going to die in, in, in the chair 
this is his, this is his life, this is his passion is to run this company and to be the head of creative. And he, I don't see any plausible scenario in which a healthy businessman steps out of that position. So I don't see any reason to expect that there will be any systemic change, which is the only thing that's going to get them to be on a, on a healthier financial course. And again, when I say healthier financial course, they're already very profitable. But they could be making more money. Uh, they could be a cooler brand. They could be, ha- they could be selling more tickets at a live event. They could be having more W network subscribers. They could be doing a lot better in, in television viewership. So yeah, but the story is, is very complicated, and I hope that's a decent description of it. We're talking to Brandon Thurston of WrestleNomics Radio. You know, you, you said a mouthful there. <laughs> you, you definitely said a mouthful there. Let, let, let me clear my throat while, while I jump into this. While, because while I cough, yeah. <laughs> clearly, I, I I don't agree with everything you just said, which is not a surprise. I, I'm a, I've been accused of being a disagreeable kind of guy. Um, I have a hard time, once again, reconciling that level of, and, and you were expressing your opinion, and it's, it's an educated opinion based on how you studied and what you studied as it relates to WWE as a business. So, I, you know, you're not wrong, uh, but you're certainly not right, in my opinion, either. You yeah. warned me that you'd be disagreeing with me. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I definitely yeah. gave you the disclaimer. I'm ready. If WWE is making record profit, more money than anyone ever in wrestling has made, any company. As an investor, there is no way on God's green earth that I'm, I'm ever going to tell them to do anything other than whatever the hell they've been doing. And I'm going to take that a step further. I think there is a, a, a section of the wrestling community, especially wrestlers, and, and and promoters and, and you know mostly the old timers who don't understand that what it means to draw in pro wrestling in 2019 is not what it meant in 1980 or 1990 or even in, in 2013. What it means to draw in pro wrestling legitimately are these TV and, and internet deals, these streaming deals. So the the focus is to grab those monies. You could paper all of your TV product. And if you have a strong enough uh, set of TV deals like WWE has, it doesn't matter. So the, the concept of a ticket sale, ticket sales being down and, and that being an issue, I, I just don't, that doesn't drive me. I don't, I don't think that's an issue at all. When you look at all live sports, for the most part, ticket sales are down because it's a hell of a lot easier and cheaper to drink your own beer and eat your own snacks at home. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to worry about parking. You don't have to worry about, you know, getting home afterwards and what have you. It's just a, it's a more comfortable experience at home. And when you're delivering a product that's, you know, entertaining enough to watch, and clearly it is because the, the advertisers are spending the money on it, <laughs> which is why the networks are offering a billion-dollar contract. So clearly this is entertaining enough that somebody's interacting with it and enough somebody's for them to, to take that kind of gamble. Uh, the, the live event ticket sales really don't matter. Now, that doesn't mean that you, you 
don't try to grab those dollars because every dollar is a good dollar in that regard. But there's no sky falling just because ticket sales are down when you when you're signing billion dollar TV deals. It's the complete opposite. Mm-hmm. The WWE Network subscriptions are up. It's higher than what they expected. Well, the the, the network subscriptions for WrestleMania this past year were were down. Well, I've got the KPIs open. They were down six percent for uh, WrestleMania 2019 versus WrestleMania 2018, which I thought was um. I've, I've always thought of the the WWE Network subscriber metric, the number, as like, okay, it, it, it has been growing since the launch, of course, right? It's a new business. It's this new technology. So you can't really think of it as a popularity metric. It's going up and up, uh, or at least, you know, year over year, it goes up. But this this WrestleMania, it finally didn't. Uh, it went down by 6%. And uh, so now I think from, from this moment or going forward, uh, the W Network subscriber number becomes something that, I think is more suggestive, right? It's indicative of, of popularity. And I think it, it, it tells you that WrestleMania this year, uh, was somehow not as interesting or, you know, not as attractive as, as at least the WrestleMania of last year, uh, it, which is the year in which all that technology was younger and maybe there was less of a propensity for people to accept the, accept having to set up the streaming device or, or, you know, go through the friction of, you know, setting up a user account. So, so I think there's that when it comes to the W Network subscriber number, and that that is another another. Uh, I, don't, I don't want to sound too dramatic because, like you keep saying, this company is going to be profitable. It's going to be more and more profitable, at least over the next five years. But there is something uh, alarming here about um, you know, what's going on here, and and is is the company like on the whole becoming less pop- popular? Like as far as are there fewer fans and is there less you know whatever total uh, interest in in WWE? So, so there's that. But see, I, I can't, I can't take what you're saying there, and you know, give my stamp of credibility to it, because when you look at their social media interaction, they they put up a, a, a video of our truth with the 24/7 title, and, and I mean, the, the YouTube streams and the Facebook uh, streams are through the roof on something like that. People are interacting with brands in a way, in 2019, that unfortunately, the industry has not come up with a uniform way to completely understand. Well, so I was talking about YouTube YouTube views. Um, YouTube views in Q1 2019 actually declined for the first time in in a couple years. Uh, Global hours viewed in Q1 2019 was at 300 million and had been at 351 million in Q4. Q4 How how much of that has to do with Facebook and their, what they're offering from a streaming standpoint, WWE's relationship with them, there's, there's got to be a direct correlation between how many people are actually watching directly on Facebook and how much of that is being pulled from YouTube. Okay, so, so the number that I, that I just referenced there, that, that, this is directly from WWE's corporate website, and it's not just YouTube. This is, so that the name of this metric is ABADA, which, is, which means uh, ad, ad-supported video on demand, global hours views. And in the, in the fine print, it says, Avon to Death supported video on demand consumption includes videos viewed on third-party Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. So all of those platforms are combined. That's not just YouTube. And you're saying that they're down. Well, that that's telling you that they're down. It's down. Page two of the KPIs, yeah. So that's full Google hours viewed, and they have another metric right beside it on the same PDF page, uh, Avon Global Views, which is in the billions. 
7.7 billion in Q1 2019, down from 8.5 billion in Q4 2018. And again, usually we, you know, W is kind of a seasonal business. You, you, you usually see, uh, the best, uh, quarter for, for W business is Q1, that, that period of January through March where you've got Royal Rumble and the run up to WrestleMania. And Q4 usually, you know, at least when it comes to TV viewership, usually a little bit less, right? Because that's the, the period that overlapped with NFL, uh, football games. So, if anything, I would expect Q1 to, to be doing even better. And um, for, for anybody who wants to look at this, this is, this is called the key, the key Performance Indicators. You go to W's corporate website and you click on Investors. You'll find the Key Performance Indicators. I'm just talking about something that's on page two. And it's basically a bar graph that, that goes up and up and up. If we're looking at the 2017 through through the present. And it goes up and up and up and up and up, except for in the most recent quarter, Q1 2019, where it goes down. You know, so, I, I really don't yeah. appreciate you coming on my show and, and, and basically proving me wrong. Uh, I'm going to have to go back and take a look at that just to verify, yeah. but I, I don't like the way this conversation is going. Uh, yeah. You'll you have to edit this part out. Yeah, I, I, I may have to do that, but of course that means I'm going to have to figure out how to edit this. You know, my, my <laughs> available today. Uh, so okay. that's interesting. So you, you, what you're saying is they're reporting, WWE itself is reporting that their, their streaming numbers on third-party platforms Forms, including Facebook and, and YouTube and what have you, they're down. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. That's a problem. So, and like in in that neighborhood of uh, of metrics, let's see, social media followers, social media, uh, I think it's a, you know it's a different kind of animal because you know people don't really unfollow as much as they do follow. Oh, don't, and, don't pull and, that. Don't pull that. Don't pull that, please. Don't don't, don't, don't try to, to explain. Don't try to gloss over the follows by by claiming people don't unfollow. So that's your way of, of trying to cover up the fact that WWE followers they, are, are through the roof. And and the followers that they're counting are are not unique followers, right? Like if you follow WWE and you follow John Cena, you're counted as, as two followers. Of think, I think the, the the better way to think about it, I think the better name for it would be like social media touch points. But yeah, so they have over a billion total uh, followers uh, across Facebook, Twitter, and other platforms, including Instagram. Um. And I, I have like a comparison of of their growth on on Facebook and their growth on Twitter versus uh, like the the monthly active users on on Twitter itself. So what, what Facebook grew, let's see, like Facebook grew one percent, while the monthly active user rate on Facebook grew two percent. Um, so yeah, I mean Facebook's slowing down quite a bit. Uh, Come on, man! You mean to tell me a growth that that's a, that's a positive? That's an increase, mind you, and and you're you're trying to put a negative spin on that because social media is a is a is a younger form of media. So social media, you know, Facebook and Twitter, social media platforms. I think you have to consider like in the same way you can kind of excuse TV viewership being down because that's an older form of media. Uh, I think you have to like offset some of the the increase on. Uh, on newer forms of media like social media and uh, and YouTube, you have to temper that when you when you, when you read that stuff. You know, that they have an increase, so that's a good thing. They have an increase. It's definitely not a bad thing. Yeah, you, you should. I think like, what should your expectations be? You know, what is what is a zero sum? What what would your expectations be based on the past? You know, it's it's slowing down, but then again, the world is is, is slowing down. The monthly active user rate for Facebook and, and for Twitter. Uh, it's slowing down. But so is WWE. Yeah, but 
that is in line. At, at the end of the day, if you if you're not in the red, then you're doing damn well. And, and there's nothing, there's literally no one else to compare WWE to. That's the other thing that people need to accept. Yeah. They have no competition in the wrestling industry. You literally would have to combine multiple companies just to even be half of what WWE is. So the yeah. notion that they making the most profit and having an increase in social media followers, etc., there's no... You can't look at that as a negative. How? <laughs> you know, I think I think what WWE's done with, on social media has been important, and I think the way that people, that wrestling fans, consume um, consume the wrestling fandom has become increasingly more so on social media. Like I think, um, I think a lot of people, while there are you know, there's less people watching the program and like sitting down with a with a TV set and watching. Raw or SmackDown on the USA Network, I think there's a lot of people consuming or being aware of what's happening on Raw and SmackDown one way or another through the internet, whether that's through W social media platforms or other wrestling social media stuff. Um, so I think that's happening, and I think that's something that they, you could make the argument that that's cannibal, you know, they're cannibalizing their own business, and they should be doing less stuff on, on social media, and they shouldn't be putting those Raw and SmackDown clips on YouTube because that could cannibalize their viewership. Um, and I know there, that, that that seems almost like an intuitive way to think about it. But I think that's, that's not the right way to think about it. And uh, I think I think it is good that WWE has done as much as they have done on, on social media and on YouTube and on Facebook. Um, because people, I'm, my belief is that people are going to go to these new forms of media regardless, especially younger people who are going to be the, the people that you need to have as your fan base in the future. So they're going to go to these new forms of media regardless. And uh, if you're not on the devices that they use. If you're not in the platforms that they visit, um, you're going to miss out on, on their time. You're going to miss out on the opportunity to build the fandom. So there's a, there's a story about, um, I think, that George Barrios tells about, you know, Vince McMahon told them, you know, some 10 years ago that, uh, you know, he saw social media as a land grab and he wanted us, WWE, to go and get more than their fair share of, of social media. So this is something that I think in, in in a in a in, cre- in a credit to WWE that they saw as important um, years ago, many years ago, uh, uh, you know, as, as early as they should have um, creative stuff and other criticism besides. So I think they've they've uh, their their existence on social media and their 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 use of of the internet and their willingness to disrupt themselves with the W network has been pretty forward thinking. If it wasn't, even if it wasn't executed like 100 percent in the in the best way possible. Damn right, damn right. You know, <laughs> it's funny because you study the economics. You're a pro wrestler, so you understand that side of the coin as well. Yeah. I want you to put your pro wrestler hat on for a second. Yeah. Okay, a stop. pro wrestler is an entertainer. Right? Uh, One could say so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And what does a pro wrestler get paid to do? To, uh, and and usually, uh, to have matches, cut promos, to in some way help promote future events. Yes, to entertain the crowd so they, they can generate money from the entertainment that's being offered. So that's the a 
company pays a pro wrestler to entertain so people come back. That's the main idea, yeah. right? Yeah, I, I think there's, like, various ways, and I think there's, like, multiple legitimate ways to look at wrestling, and I think, like, an economic perspective, like, economicals is one thing. I think wrestlers have and and are, are, are legitimate in, in wanting to have, like, artistic goals as well, but that are not necessarily related to economicals. So that's just a, an ongoing conversation I have with myself. Sure, and, and this is what I'm getting at. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you, mm-hmm. you see the road that I'm going down here. Mm-hmm. From my personal perspective, I have a hard time understanding a guy like Dean Ambrose, John Moxley, whatever he wants to call himself today, uh, here you have a guy who's being paid to portray a character in the manner that the company that's paying him prefers. And sure. that can change depending on the needs of the company. So right now, and, and you know, throughout the duration of, of his time on the main roster, the company was presenting a product that was geared towards the next generation of wrestling. Younger fans, PG product. So they needed that character to deliver something that was within the parameters of a PG product. Now, as an artist, he had, he had a problem with that, which he's expressed on you know the interviews that you, you talked about, especially during the Wade Keller interview where he went even a step further than the Chris Jericho one discussing this creative frustration that he had and what happened. Um, At what point does the wrestler, the entertainer, at what point do they accept the fact that you signed the contract, you made this deal, that you're going to deliver your art in the manner that the company requests, and they're paying you for that. And if they're paying you on time, to deliver the art a certain way, as long as it's not sexist and, 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 you know, homophobic or racist or something crazy, as long as it's not hitting it on those levels there. Mm-hmm. At what point does the entertainer cut the crap and accept the fact that this is what you signed up for? You signed up to, you're getting paid to do it the way they tell you to do it. Cut the crap and accept that. At what point do we get there? Do we get to, to where? Were they, were they, I mean, like, WWE wrestlers are under contract and they, WWE exudes a certain amount of control over what they're supposed to do. They book them for whatever date. They, they, as, as we know, they, they have scripts and you're supposed to do X, Y, and Z and say very specific lines and you're supposed to have matches that may be very heavily controlled. Uh, and then there's going to be a very specific winner and loser. Um, it sounds like we're starting to, to describe uh, the, the the employee independent contractor issue, but that's a different issue. But um, I don't know. Uh, wrestlers are are contracted and they're told to do certain things, and as long as they're not morally reprehensible, I guess, I guess yeah, sure, we should do wrestlers should do uh, within within you know with certain exceptions, do what they are told by their uh, by their uh, you know by their promoters to do. Um, but then again, when my contract is up, if I don't want to work for the promoter anymore, I may choose not to. Whether that's because I feel creatively dissatisfied or I just want to work with those people over there instead of these people over here. Does that answer the question? 
Well, and I'm glad you said it the way that you said it, because at the end of the day, I think that for some reason to today's wrestler, and especially, and I'm, I'm talking about people who either were in the WWE or currently with some of the things that they post and say, they forget that for the most part, you're not being paid for your creative ideas. That's somebody else's job. It's somebody else's job to come up with the storylines. They're, they're paying people with damn good money to come up with the direction that they want their product to go in. And you know something? If you look at the bottom line of the amount of money that they're making, clearly they're doing something right. So, Wrestler A, it really isn't your job to dictate to the company what your character is going to do. And, and, you know, they can entertain your idea, and if they don't accept your idea, that's the way it is. Pull the red wagon to the ring, say the stupid line, and go home and collect your check. Yeah. I, I guess I would say that I don't accept that the universe we live in is the best possible universe. Um, I don't accept that um, a, a WB, which by every description that I hear of it, I've, I've never worked for WB or anything nearly in that capacity, but like everything I hear about it, you know, they have like 20 some odd writers. I don't accept that the system uh, that exists is the best possible system. I don't accept that like there needs, needs to be 20 some odd writers. I don't know if I even accept that there needs to be like more than one or two or a, a very small team of bookers. Um, I think... I don't, I don't, I think that it may be in W's economic interest as well as in whatever creative or artistic interest there is for the audience and for the performers themselves. I think it may, it may even be beyond that in W's and in a wrestling company's economic interest to allow, uh, talented performers to have a certain amount of input on, on what they do. Obviously, then it's, and, and you, you mentioned, you know, the TVPG thing. Um, I, I don't think that, that, okay, maybe, maybe Dean Ambrose wanted to bleed at certain moments and, and I think it makes sense to, uh, prioritize the value of certain, certain sponsors ahead of, uh, allowing him to bleed in a couple matches. But I think there are, there are limits that you have to put on what these performers want to do at times. But I think there's, um, I think there's value in allowing wrestlers who have passion, have a lot of creativity to have a certain amount of input over, over wrestling and, and, uh, and I think the, sort of the, the system that W has built for itself is, is one that, uh, that limits it. And, and W's success, W's financial success is not necessarily because of its system, but it's despite its creative system. Well, and, and I guess you and I are going to have to agree to disagree on that because I feel, again, as an investor, I don't want you changing too many things. Well, again, we can go down the moral road. We, we can talk about you changing your pay structure to, to you know, pay women equally, and, and we could talk about the, the getting rid of the union busting. We could even talk about something that you've covered extensively. You've written about it, and you've, you've covered it on the show in relation to WWE being able to afford to have the wrestlers turn them into actual WWE employees. Mm -hmm. uh, from an economic standpoint, you know, your premise is that they should be able to afford that. And I agree with you. Uh, I think you've made some excellent points in relation to that. And, and folks, if you head over uh, to the Duke Loves Wrestling uh, Facebook and Twitter pages, underneath the post for this podcast episode, 
actually going to post a link to uh, what our man here, uh, Brandon Thurston, has written about WWE being able to afford to pay their wrestlers. I think everybody should take a look at that. I think it makes sense. Um, but outside of that, I, I just don't believe that I'm going to give Brandon Thurston, the wrestler, uh, creative freedom to just do whatever the hell he wants out there because he doesn't feel that the writers who I'm employing understand his character the way he does. Just do it. Yeah, and I'm not, I'm not saying uh, a wrestler should be allowed to do whatever they want, but that um, wrestlers should, let's see, for example, within cer- certain parameters and within certain guidelines, have the ability to do their own promos. And, that, and I think it's not in WWE's economic interest to script them instead. And I think there could be more freedom around what kind of matches they have as well. And maybe even in some ways how they promote their, their characters, uh, whether that's on social media and other WWE video platforms or, or even on the written you know, the website or whatever. Um, it's not, I'm, I'm not saying like they should just be able to do and say whatever they want, whenever they want. There's, there's other priorities that wrestlers may, may overlook and, and may not, uh, recognize the value in it and that, that may, may harm WWE. For example, if they wanted to bleed all over the place and then Mattel, you know, wakes up in the morning and says, what is going on here? You know, there's, there are, there are limits that have to be put on, on wrestlers, uh, for the best, best interest of the company. But, uh, I think, uh, the, the, uh, the world that we live in here where, where WWE has a lot of control over the creative process and, uh, and, uh, and it's not just like the creative process. Like I think that the biggest problem in, in WWE is just this lack of ability to create stars and um, the way that uh, you know I listened to uh, Bruce Mitchell say something that I thought was was uh, useful the other day, where he said, you know, you can you, in in pro wrestling, the the benefit of pro wrestling as opposed to other sports is that you get to pick the winners. What we don't get to pick are who the stars are. And um, you know, Roman Reigns has been pushed a lot, and he's been chosen as the star. And uh, Roman Reigns probably should be a big star, you know. Uh, but I think a lot of time and resources were put towards him at the expense of building any other star. Um, and I think there's just, that's just one symptom that, that, that's part of larger disease, and I don't want to make it sound like that. It's, it's Roman Reigns, you know, that's the problem, or the, the way that the company has tried to get Roman Reigns over over the last four or five years is, is the main problem. It's one of the problems among among all the others, which is, like, just, I think, the, the main decision maker, Vince McMahon, has a very uh, dysfunctional and, and stubborn way of of, uh, of doing wrestling business and way of doing wrestling TV in a way that frustrates uh, his viewers and frustrates uh, eventually his workers, his, his wrestlers. And, uh, and I think just seeing the problems that that causes start to manifest now uh, in terms of viewership and in terms of network subscriptions, uh, live attendance, and even... Uh, Avod time spent with uh, video streaming that's free, which we just talked about a minute ago. Well, once again, I, I completely disagree with you, but I, I respect uh, your position on the topic. There's no two ways about that. What can we expect from WrestleNomics Radio and, and the you know, upcoming episodes here? What are some of the things that you're working on that uh, we should be sinking our teeth into? Uh, so I just did a, a long episode on, which I kind of think like, it was like an audio documentary on the, uh, the Saudi Arabia story. Um, and I think that is to, to 
go on another quick tangent. I think that I think the Saudi Arabia thing, the bad press around it. I don't think there's like I don't think every WWE fan is aware of of that story and why that is a problem. But I think there are some fans who are turned off by that. So I think that's that's another thing on the pile. Just like the you know the lack of concern about you know we don't need to get into the whole story, but but of taking money from from a government like the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Yeah. So I I did a, a about a 50 minute uh, audio documentary on WWE's relationship with the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, um, which is a 10 year deal that they have, which is worth you know tens of millions of dollars per event. Um, so I may do another one, another episode that's sort of similar in terms of being like kind of like an audio documentary looking at uh, what's been happening with WWE popularity over the last five years or so. I've got some notes and I'm starting to, to take, put together some audio clips for that. Um, but definitely every quarter I'll, I'll be, I do a, uh, a WWE earnings report podcast. Uh, most recently we did one with, uh, with Chris Harrington. And we talked about all the things that we learn when we read the W quarterly reports and we, we listen to this man and George Barrows and Michelle Wilson talk about W business every quarter. So yeah, I'm kind of just, we used to do it weekly, but I kind of just have been doing it whenever I feel like I have a story to tell. Um, I did one that you mentioned about the, the independent contractor and employee issue. And, uh, yeah, whenever there's a story that I think is, you know, it's, it's worth taking, you know, half an hour, 50 minutes to listen to. We put it out there at WrestleNomics Radio, which you can find uh, just on any podcast platform. Well, you know, I'll, I'll say this. I, I definitely listened uh, to your Saudi Arabia episode of WrestleNomics Radio, and it was just brilliant. I mean, it was, it was laid out in an excellent manner. You had different sound clips. This is This is a thing that, I don't agree with everything that you say. Let, let me let me just put that out, <laughs> Brandon. Uh-huh. You, you and I yeah. don't completely agree, um, which is not unusual. I don't completely agree with my own mother. I love her, even though she can beat me up. Uh, but one of the things that I respect about you to the hills is the fact that you cite where you get your information from. You quote that information uh, completely. You're, you're explaining yeah. to everybody. I arrived at the conclusion that I've arrived at because of X, Y, and Z. So it's very easy to understand your thought process. It's very easy to understand the road you went down and how you got to where you are. I respect that. Because I think that there are too many people in wrestling who are reporting on and discussing wrestling. They act as if they have all the answers, and quite frankly, they don't. And they're not putting out enough citations so someone like myself who's very, you know, analytical and wants to know how the sausage gets made, I want to yeah. be able to go back and take a look at how you arrived at your conclusion. So I, I respect you for, for doing that much. And just to get back to that Saudi Arabia episode, it was, even though I felt it was a little short, you could have gone on even longer, man, because you were just kidding. You wanted to be longer. Okay. It was awesome. It was awesome. <laughs> Thank you. And I got, a, I got a political background, so I, I'm very well aware of, what's going on in Saudi Arabia and their history and, and the history between the United States and Saudi Arabia. You know, how we've been in business with them since the 30s as a nation. So for you to cover a lot of that stuff and talk about WWE and what have you, it was, it was just brilliant. It was brilliant. Yeah. I, I do want to ask you this question. And folks, I want you to please, WrestleNomics Radio, go to your favorite podcast app, 
go listen to the latest episode that's posted, which is the Saudi Arabia episode, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so you can understand what we're talking about. And I'll, and I'll post that link, too, because I want everybody to go check that out. I do want to ask you this, though. How do you reconcile your opinion on the matter? Which, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, you don't believe WWE should be going after Saudi money right now. Is, is that correct? Um, so the, the podcast I try to make very uh, just factual, and I don't really assert any opinion on it. And uh, I think some, some of the some of the people who listened to it and, and had nice things to say about it, you know, p- pointed that out. And I think that's, I think that's an important thing. Like, you know, um, I will ask you a question, but I, but I think there's like, you know, there's a lot of wrestling media where like the, the opinion and the news is just sort of mixed together in the same batch. And I think it's maybe it is appropriate at times to just have, here's the news. And then maybe at some separate area that is marked as my opinion, I would say my opinion is. So what, what is my opinion on, on, on the Saudi Arabia deal? Yeah. I think that I don't think W, it kind of what's, what's laid out there, hopefully factually, in that podcast is, is like, look, this is not the same as, yeah, W does dozens of events every year in all different countries throughout the world. Um, w does, does events sometimes in China. W does events in you know, countries all over the world. Uh, but, but this one is quite a bit different because of the amount of money involved and because the, the deal is not with, like, a venue in, in a country. It, the deal is with the government itself, and they're paying them tens of millions of dollars to put it in context, uh, it looks like to me, by my own estimate, uh, the value of the Greatest Royal Rumble, which was a year ago, looks to be in the neighborhood of $50 million, five zero, fifty million million. So that's like three times the, the biggest WrestleMania in terms of ticket sales, um, the value of the tickets. So WrestleMania 32, $17.3 million. That's the all-time live event gate record for pro wrestling. Uh, you multiply that by three, that's still short of the Greatest Royal Rumble's uh, the fee that they got from the government for the Grace Royal Rumble. So that's a ton of money. And you gotta think about, like, why are they giving W that much money? It's, it's, it's so that people will, um, will watch the Grace Royal Rumble or Crown Jewel or Super Showdown and, and they'll see, you know, this, this event from Saudi Arabia and hey, look, Saudi Arabia doesn't seem that bad. There's, you know, there's people there who seem like decent people and they're just watching a wrestling event just like I watch a wrestling event. So maybe what, what's happening in that country isn't all that different from from the life in my own country where things are relatively, you know, uh, decent as far as, you know, the way that people live, even though, you know, you know the came of Saudi Arabia is involved in a, in a number of human rights violations, including it, it, it appears that they were responsible for the murder of the journalist Kamal, Jamal Khashoggi. Uh, it's a, you can be penalized by death for being a gay person in Saudi Arabia. Uh, women have to have permission from a, from a guardian to do things like open a bank account. They just, just only recently got the right to drive, and, and meanwhile, the activists who protested so that women could have the right to drive are being jailed, uh, just for starters. And, and they're involved in uh, this conflict in uh, in Yemen, where Iran is backing one side and Saudi Arabia is backing another side, and there's stories about you know, a Saudi-led coalition making airstrikes on, on school buses and on funeral processions and on weddings, uh, killing civilians. So, um, it's... It, it, in short, I think it, it, it all is, is about, uh, you know, this, this thing called Vision 2030. It's a program that, that the Saudi government has put together to try to enhance its, its, uh, its image around the world. And, uh, Saudi Arabia should, should probably be, you know, one of these countries that we think of as being, being one of the, the worst countries in the world to its people. And, uh, I don't think there's any amount of money that, that justifies aiding them in that, 
in that goal. So, yeah, I guess that's my opinion. I, here's my issue with, with that, and, and I don't disagree with a word you just said. Yeah. I don't disagree with any of it. Where I'm at a fork in the road with all of the rhetoric around this topic, the United States, once again, the United States has been in business with Saudi Arabia since the 1930s. And the people responsible for the business that we have with the with Saudi Arabia are people who work for us. They are our elected officials. We have a say in whether or not that person has that job where they can negotiate deals and, and, and you know, sell arms and God knows what and do business with Saudi Arabia. Well, that, that's not interrupted. That, that continues. Mm-hmm. The very second that's happened. Mm-hmm. So my point is, and, 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 I, and that's not right either. I would argue. Okay, well, here's my point. Yeah, we have control over what's happening with our nation through our elected officials. Mm-hmm. If we are not putting enough pressure on our elected officials, and I'm talking about the folks up in Washington, if we're not putting enough pressure on them to discontinue business relations with Saudi Arabia, relations that we as a nation are benefiting from, by the way. If we're not putting the pressure on them to do that, then how the hell am I going to tell WWE to stop? WWE doesn't owe me anything. WWE doesn't work for me. They have a product. I can choose to patronize their product or I can choose not to. And that's the end of that agreement. The elected officials work for us. So... To everybody listening, if you've never called your your Congress people and told them that you're completely against us working for Saudi Arabia and that they, they're going to lose your vote in the upcoming election if they don't advocate for the discontinuance of that relationship, if you've never done that, then do me a favor. Kindly shut your face. Don't, don't you point a finger or say a word to WWE if you've never picked up the phone or sent an email or done anything to advocate for the discontinuance of our relations with Saudi Arabia. It's, 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 it's contradictory. It doesn't make sense. So that, that's, that's my opinion. Yeah, I guess like on the order of moral responsibility, the U.S. has, what, billion-dollar, multi-billion-dollar arms deals with, with the government, and that is more morally terrifying than a multi-million dollar wrestling deal with the government. But both are wrong. Sure. And I, I don't I don't disagree with you one bit. But if you're if you're not gonna put the pressure on the people who work for you, who you actually have real influence over, mm-hmm. leave the business alone. What are, what are you doing messing with the business for? Leave them alone. That's that's my opinion. I and I don't think you agree with that opinion, which is okay. Um, but well, I, I think I think you can be. I think two things can be wrong, and one thing can be worse than the other, and it doesn't. Um, another thing being worse, one thing being worse than another thing, doesn't lessen the badness of of the thing that that is less bad. You know sure. what I mean? Sure. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. And I think I think at the end of the day, uh, it comes down to respect. And Brandon Thurston, I have the utmost respect for you. Again, I, I really enjoy what you're doing. I think you're doing a, a service to the, the wrestling community as a whole, both 
for the fact that you're a pro wrestling trainer. So you're not just out there wrestling, which you're entertaining the fans or what have you, but you're actually training the next generation, teaching people how to be safe and do it the right way. So that's a, that's a major service. And I always tip my hat to the trainers. We've had many of them on the show. Um, but also, this WrestleNomics Radio and, and, and stuff that you also write. Like you said, you've written for Wrestling Inc. Shout out to my man, Raj Geary. You, you've written for, for Fightful. You've written for this one. You've written for that one. You know, you've written for major publications. You've written everything. You've written for your own stuff. Everybody. Mm-hmm. You're you're really a, a, a solid dude to the community, and I want the whole wrestling world to, to know your name and know who you are and, and continue to check in on what you're doing because if we had more people approaching these topics the way that you approach it, I think that we would have a more intelligent and therefore more powerful wrestling community. And what I mean by that is we could actually use our influence to say to WWE, you know what, we're, we're just not going to, we're not going to deal with you anymore because you keep union busted. Make these folk yeah. employees accept the fact that they're going to be a union, pay the women equal, equal, uh, pay to the men, and l- let's get on with it from there. As opposed to, I can't stand the fact that Dean Ambrose had to pull a red wagon to the ring and, 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 and say a, a cartoon line. Oh my God. You know, it just, there's a lack of intelligence with that type of stuff when there are actually real issues going on. Yeah, so I think, yeah, I think, I think like some of our, um, responsibilities around wrestling and I, we were talking earlier about like why, um, why I, why I study like the economics of wrestling and I want to, I guess I want to make wrestling better and the way to understand how to do that is understand what it motivates the business and that is economics, that is money often and, uh, yeah. But there are social and moral responsibilities I think we have above the, uh, the economics. Damn right. Damn right. Listen, if, if, uh, folks listening, if they want to not only see your work, but also just get in touch with you, you go ahead. Plug your Twitter, plug, plug all your social media, plug your, your podcast. I'm going to give you the floor here. Sure. You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon Thurston, B-R-A-N-D-O-N. Um, I'm on Instagram. There's more like pro wrestler stuff on my Instagram, farmer underscore Thurston. Um, WrestleNomics.com is, is a website that we, I mentioned earlier that's meant to be sort of like almost like a library or like a resource area for, for all sorts of metrics. Some of the things that we referenced here, talking about the YouTube views and, you know, AVOD hours viewed and, uh, live attendance and, uh, viewership. There's all sorts of links there to, uh, spreadsheets that I've put together or that Chris Harrington and I have worked together to, to put together. Um, yeah, so like, like, like you mentioned, like in a lot of my writing, I, I try to make things accessible and try to explain where everything, everything comes from. I'm not somebody who has like all these like inside secret sources. Most of the things that I learn and that I write about or talk about are just things that are, are available in one form or another publicly and that anybody should be able to be able to, to find. And if you go to wrestlerox.com, you'll find a lot of those resources there. Um, Wrestlerox Radio can be listened to on, uh, for free on just about any podcast platform. And, um, you can follow WrestleNomics itself on uh, on Twitter at WrestleNomics. And uh, I'm a pro wrestler. I'm going to be wrestling next June 29th uh, in North Carolina, New York for Empire State Wrestling. You can go to ESWWrestling.com and check that out. There's tickets available there for a big match between Daniel Garcia and myself for the ESW Heavyweight title. Uh, student versus teacher.
That should be fun. And, and, and let me just say, uh, huh? Daniel Garcia, let's be honest here. You're going to be taught a major lesson. Uh, <laughs> you know what's going to happen. So Yeah. Put that out there. It, He's been running his mouth a lot. I, I have noticed that, and that's unfortunate. You, you're, no you aware of him? You, are you aware of him? <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a wrestling fan, brother. I'm aware. Cool. Okay. <laughs> cool. Hey, he's a, so the, the, uh, four, four guys who we trained, Daniel Garcia, Kevin Black, and Kevin Bennett and Puck, were, were in a major auto accident in January, and uh, Garcia and Blackwood were hurt pretty badly as far as, like, they had, like, both their legs broken and were banged up in a lot of other ways. Uh, Bennett and, uh, and Puff came away pretty unscathed, luckily. But yeah, this is, a uh, Blackwood and, and, and Garcia are finally getting to the point where they're, they're making their comebacks now. This will be, the match I have with him, uh, in a couple Saturdays will be his first match back, uh, locally here. Uh, it'll be just his second match back. And, um, it was a match that was supposed to happen in January. And, uh, I think it's a match that a lot of people were excited for and anticipated. And we weren't able to give them in January, but now it's gonna happen finally in June. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been wrestling for a long time, but like as as I get get older here and I get better here, I think uh, these matches, you know, my stuff becomes more and more heavy and more and more important. And I'm, I'm still getting better. He's he's like 20 years old, and he's he's very good already. He's scary good already for being as young as he is. And uh, it's it's going to be a big heavy match. Like it's going to be one of the most important matches of my life. So I'm really looking forward to it. I will say that, and I don't realize it, I don't know if you realize this or not, but you helped make a name for these guys just because of, of how passionate you were about the car accident and you know, some of the stuff that you put out there about uh, helping these guys out with the, with the medical bills and what have you. Uh, that was mentioned all over the place. Jim Cornette, Jim Ross, it was, it was, it was uh, reported on by different wrestling publications and what have you. And you were sourced as a person, you know, the stuff that you put out there was, was what everybody was talking about in relation to what happened. So It was amazing how many people uh, retweeted it or whatever it was. Uh, but, yeah, there was a, a, a big GoFundMe that raised, I forget what number they topped out at, but, like, tens of thousands of dollars Easy. towards uh, covering covering their, their medical bills. Um, that, that was, that was put, behind that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was put together by Andy Williams, who's, a, who's also a wrestler from the Buffalo area. He's also this uh, band a lot of people know called Every Time I Die. Um, I think his girlfriend actually set that up. But yeah, it's a lot of a lot of support and a lot of uh, really really nice people coming together. And a lot of people just from all over the wrestling world, you know, shared that or even donated money. It's really nice. Well, and, and here's my point in saying that. So when you, when you are a little surprised, you say you know about Daniel Garcia. Well, yeah. <laughs> you you made sure of that. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 I'm, I'm I'm in this forest here. It's hard for me to tell like who you know who knows about this stuff outside my area. You know. Well, and and I guess we can we can end it on this because I don't want to take up too much of your time. I mean, you, even though you beat me up enough here, uh, <laughs> this is a this is an example of how strong a modern wrestling company and wrestling uh, personalities how strong their reach is. Because if you can put out a tweet about some guys that you trained and, and the unfortunate accident they had and, you know, other people within the circle putting out the tweets and getting the message out there, and, and it reached literally everybody. I mean, it was it was legitimately mentioned in all the wrestling publications. That some of the top personalities in the history of the business were talking about it and retweeting and all that good stuff. If your message can get that far, 
how the hell can we not understand how WWE is where it is right now? Well, I, I think a lot of people were sharing that besides, you know. It's not just because of me. There's there's a lot of uh, a lot of people with with big followings who, who shared that thing out, you know, including Cover Park and stuff like that. But yeah, I think people should know a lot more about the, about the wrestling industry and should study it a lot closer, and and the industry would be better off, you know. Um, like one of the things I've done in, in the in the school is to try to help people understand, help the students and wrestlers there understand, like. It's more and more the case that uh, the path to WV or the path to whatever promotion it is that you want to make it in or just the path to becoming a full-time wrestler is through the indies and it's through this economic ladder, I call it, of pro wrestling, where it starts out sort of at the local level, then the regional level, and these super indies. So I think even that stuff, even studying the business and doing this WrestleNautics stuff has helped me, helped inform me on, like, how to um, advise people or how to, like, guide people. I think, like... um it's one thing to train people how to wrestle and how to take bumps and how to have a match. And I think it's another thing in addition to that to help people develop as wrestlers and all the things that, that means, you know, how to, how to get your name out there and how to, you know, what, what's, what's the best strategy to go about in terms of how to develop myself as a, as a wrestler. It's not just about having matches and, and knowing how to work, which it is about that too, but it's about understanding what, what is, how does this industry work and how can I make it work for me? Wow, what a conversation there. We didn't agree on everything. But I will say this Brandon Thurston guy, he he is somebody who really gets it. And again, it's intelligent conversation about the business, the economics of pro wrestling. So I hope you enjoyed this, this special episode here, folks. Didn't want to waste any time. I just jumped right into the discussion because there was so much to talk about. The, the, the discussion was so detailed. It just, oh, good stuff. Good stuff. Listen, I know that uh, WWE Stomping Grounds is happening this weekend. I'm sure uh, some of you are waiting for my picks and what have you. And You can head over to the Duke Loves Wrestling Facebook and Twitter pages to see that. You know, the, the only real prediction I'll give you is that the best in the world, Shane McMahon, is going to beat the heck out of that punk Roman Reigns. That's the, only, that's the only prediction that's worthy of being delivered here. So I'll, I'll just leave it at that. But, you know, join us next week where I'll, I'll go into a little bit more detail about some of the things going on in pro wrestling. I just wanted to give you some of the best conversation about the economics of pro wrestling. And the guy who, who runs the WrestleNomics radio podcast, Mr. Brandon Howard Thurston, he was the guy to talk to about it. So I'm going to let that linger, let that sit. It was a long conversation, definitely worth it. And uh, you know, just check in, check in on Duke Loves Wrestling for more information about what's going on in pro wrestling. And we'll definitely be back next week with even more excellent interviews, even more excellent analysis on what's going on. We're not going to play games. Shout out to my man Peter Vesey, you know, the, the Hall of Fame basketball journalist and writer. We did a special on the NBA where he talked about what really happened with Kawhi Leonard and the San Antonio Spurs. That's also up on the YouTube channel. It's up there. iTunes, you name it. I know you folks who subscribe, you probably were surprised to see that in your subscription box uh, this past week. Hey, I'm throwing out bonuses, man. We'll talk about a little bit of everything. No, No big deal. 
hey, if I'm inspired on Sunday, I might throw out a bonus episode about the pay-per-view. You never know. So stay tuned. But for now, this is the Duke signing off, saying be kind to yourselves, be kind to others. Bye-bye, everybody. This is Tony Schiavone, and we're desperately out of time on Duke Love Wrestling.